This is Rumble. I'm Michael Moore. And my uh, guest here today is uh, Congressman Ro Khanna. And uh, Congressman Khanna represents the 17th district in California in the, up, uh, I, would, I guess it's still the Bay Area, even if it's the southern uh, part of it, what we would call Silicon Valley. And that is uh, the area around through underneath San Jose. And uh, do you go up on the other side of the Bay there with uh, a little bit in Fremont and, and Fremont? Sure. Oh, boy, I remember that. And back in the day, uh, General Motors used to have a factory there. Yeah. Oh, you're familiar with the area. Well, I lived in the Bay Area for um, a welcome, by the way, to Rumble. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I, I lived in the Bay Area for almost a year. Uh, back in, oh, I don't know when this was, uh, mid '80s, and so I lived in the Upper Haight uh, there in uh, San Francisco. You know yeah. where you you know where you see you see Medical Center is up of on course. the on the hill there on Parnassus. Yeah, so I, I lived like you know two houses down from that. Uh, oh, so the Bay Area can claim you as one of our own. I, I did spend a little bit of, of time there and, and loved it and loved, I loved, I certainly loved the whole vibe in the area. And, and at that time too, in the mid eighties, I mean, uh, it was, uh, you know, just trying to get the president at that time to acknowledge that there was a thing called AIDS, you know, Reagan had a different, uh, but a similar attitude toward Trump declaring COVID over just because he said so. And Reagan was trying to declare uh, HIV and AIDS over uh, by yeah. just never, never saying the word or words. And if he doesn't say it, then we don't have it. It was weird. Do you remember this? I mean, it was I like. I remember. I mean, it's partly why Pelosi ran ran for Congress. I remember. Uh, but I, I, so many problems in our country started with Reagan. I mean, I'm sure you remember the college. Yes in California basically used to be free for almost a hundred years. I mean, you went to Berkeley or something, you paid a hundred bucks a year for tuition. Just so um, some young people might've fallen out of their chair or bed or whatever with what you just said, that back in the day, uh, if you went to Berkeley, it was a hundred dollars a year. If you went to UCLA, it was about a hundred dollars a year. Uh, it was essentially free. Uh, you had to pay a few fees. You might've had to pay for some books. That's it. That's it. And um, I, I think we've kept this from younger people. And it wasn't just California. All the SUNY schools in New York were free. All the, you know, and out in the Midwest, even if you went to University of Michigan, you might've, again, God, what did I, I went one year. I might've paid $400, maybe, maybe. Like, how did it get to this? So yes, that was, and, and Reagan, if I remember right, he was the governor of California, right? And he was the governor. He was upset at the anti-war protesters, the protesters against him. And so he really targeted the budgets of uh, state schools and the uh, budgets for higher education. And that's where the tuition started to increase under him. But I, I think, Michael, you, you, you're pointing this out is so important because it's not like we haven't had free public college before. That was actually the norm in this country until the 80s. And then in the 80s, we started all of this accumulate debt to, to, to go to college and deny people access. And that's been uh, the anomaly. I mean, that's uh, when we say let's have free college and let's eliminate the $1.5 trillion of student debt people have, that's getting back to how this country used to be. Yeah. It's, I think the Republicans were never, I mean, they're, they're smart, but they're not that smart to have figured out while, you know, like they all met in a room somewhere and said, you know what we should do is start making college cost $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 a year. And when these kids, these these radicals and these causing all this trouble when, when they're 22 and they graduate, they're going to be in such debt. They'll stop all this 
radical politics activism stuff because they're going to get a job because they've got now loans that have accumulated into the tens of thousands of dollars. And I thought, wow, what a genius way to tamp down young uh, people and their desire to fight the system, to uh, uh, act on their legitimate rage as to how things, how the world is being run. It's brilliant. I, I never thought of it that way, but it's yeah. actually a brilliant point. I mean, because in law school, and look at my story, I had to take hundred some thousand dollars of loans and I ended up spending a couple of years as a, in a corporate law firm uh, before going into public service, uh, as did many people. And the large reality was because you had to pay off your loans. But imagine, uh, and I, I was able to do it. I've been fortunate in life, but there are a lot of people who want to go into public service. In fact, like the whole class at these law schools or other places and wants to do that. And then they don't end up going to the NAACP or Human Rights Watch or uh, working to change things because of their debt, literally their student debt. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's probably had a huge dampening effect on student activism. Not just on activism, but imagine, I, now, now I'm, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but if I stop for a second and think about what you just said, like you had to, you had to start paying off that loan, $100,000 loan to go to law school. So you're not going to, you're going to take the, the first job. You're, it's going to pay you a decent wage to start paying off this loan. If you didn't have the loan, you might just wait and find the kind of firm or maybe the kind of nonprofit or work for the ACLU or whatever it is you might have wanted to do in your dreams as a 22-year-old or as a 25-year-old. You couldn't do. And it makes me wonder now how we have maybe suffered as a society because like what great invention did we not get to avail ourselves of because yep. some creative, smart science student had to just go get a job um, or what cure, what cure for what disease or cancer or anything got lost because, because uh, somebody who got their themselves through medical school or, or whatever had to just get to work to pay off that loan. The loan was the ball and chain that prevented them and prevented us. We're the ones who suffer as a society when young people aren't able to do the things that where their dreams would take them that might actually benefit the rest of us. And when I was that age, I mean, in my day at that age, when you see in the school college was virtually free, um, you graduated from college. I, I mean, I what you do is you go, <laughs> you go get a year rail pass. It was like hundred bucks, 200 bucks and travel all around Europe for the summer for 200 bucks. Uh, that yeah, was, no. that's yeah, what you yeah, did you yeah, went and, you went and explored you saw the world you got to think a little bit and maybe and, write some poems yeah the question is how many you know it's one thing to say okay william faulkner or tony morrison don't have to they're willing to not make m that much money and and still write great books but when you're in actual debt it's a different calculation and and when you look at all the people of my generation many who are idealistic but who end up either in corporate law firms or mckinsey or goldman sachs or wall street um, you know, one explanation is, okay, is it more materialistic? I think that's too simplistic. I think the student debt has had a lot to do with people not going as much into the arts, into the humanities, into nonprofits, into starting their own businesses, into being entrepreneurs. I mean, it's probably had a, a really dampening effect on our creativity and even our innovation. So we've won the White House. Yay. We have held the House of Representatives still in the Democrats' hands, the majority of the House, and 
if we win these two Georgia Senate seats, and there's an excellent chance we can do this, the polls right now already show that the two Democrats that are running, one is ahead in one of the races, one's ahead of the Republican, and the other race it's tied. This is doable. So if we have the White House, we've got the House, and we end up with the Senate, then I say, let's make America California again. Let's make America California. And I thought what might be a good idea today is to, is to our audience to hear from you um, how California has benefited from being all Democratic in terms of the governor's chair, the Senate, and the Assembly, which we call the House in most states. Um, how, how have you gotten away with this? What has been the benefit for the people? Yep. Here's what can happen if we have the Senate and the House and the White House, and we don't have to, like Obama had to through uh, six of his eight years, suffer through all the blockage uh, from the Republican Party. And, and after Obamacare got very little through a Senate uh, that, and a House at that time that decided to block him. So, Ro Khanna, 17th uh, District well, Congressman like from California. First of all, I like how you're framing it because it's not about the personality of electing Joe Biden or even Kamala Harris, who's a Californian. It's about uh, getting the team in there, the infrastructure to finally bring some of these changes. Now, in fairness, the person who gets the credit for the top two system, uh, as well as the uh, independent redistricting, which is that in California, politicians can't draw their own lines uh, of their districts, which has made a big difference. Wow. Exactly Arnold Schwarzenegger, who initiated ballot measures, both parties, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party were opposed to this. Uh, you can see why, because uh, Dine Feinstein didn't want to be facing a Democrat challenger in, uh, in, in a November general election. So the top two system makes it less incumbent friendly and allows uh, a progressive challenger uh, to emerge. But it turns out that California voters overwhelmingly in the ballot measures uh, liked both of these initiatives. Uh, and they passed uh, in the early, around 2010, 2012. And that really changed California politics. That was one of the things that allowed more women, more minorities, more newcomers, more progressives uh, to, to start winning. And, uh, uh, and it ended up helping Democrats. I mean, we have uh, of the 53 seats, I think we control 46 uh, seats in the House and both the- In the U.S. House, yeah. In the U.S. House. Yeah. And in the Assembly and the Senate, uh, the State Senate, we have uh, huge majorities. So how has it mattered? Let me give you one okay. concrete example. Uh, the uh, initiative for racial justice, where we want to take uh, measures against police violence, we're one of the only countries in the uh, of Western democracies that has a standard of force that is what William Rehnquist said, that police officers can use force if they think it's reasonable. If they, if they think someone is uh, pulling a, a gun, even if it turns out to be a toy, if the police officer thought it's reasonable uh, and under our law, uh, it's, it's allowed for them to use force. Well, the, California uh, passed a law saying, let's get into the same standard as every other Western democracy, that force needs to be an absolute last resort. Mm -hmm. It's not about what a police officer thinks it's reasonable. If you can't show that you've exhausted every other alternative uh, to get it done, uh, to, to take to prevent violence, uh, you can't use force. That passed the Assembly. It passed the Senate. 
uh, Gavin Newsom signed it. Uh, we are still stuck in that kind of reform. It's in the Justice and Policing Act that Karen Bass did a great job in. It's passed the House. The Senate hasn't moved it. The White House hasn't moved it. If the Senate uh, is is flipped within a first two months, that would become law. Uh, second thing in, in, in California is environmental standards. I mean, we, you look at the standards, the aggressive standards that we've uh, initiated, where uh, in the next, uh, uh, by uh, 2030, uh, we're supposed to be at about 60% renewable energy. Uh, now, I mean, obviously, uh, some of the Green New Deal and, and, and other aspects are even more ambitious. But even if we could, if the country became California standards, uh, we would make tremendous progress towards the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change call, uh, report is to decarbonize uh, the economy by 2050. And that's something that passed under G- Jerry Brown with a majority in, in the Assembly and the, and the Senate. I could keep going, but I don't want to. No, give- I want, no, I want you to keep because the more I, I listen to this, I, I think the title of this episode should be uh, Make America California Again. Uh, well, or we haven't really ever been California, but, but you're right. It just when those words, you just said those words, <clears throat> if the rest of the country just adopted this limited thing that California has done in terms of uh, CO2 emissions, that, that um, imagine um, how much better off we would be. And I start to think just these few things you've mentioned, and I want to hear more of, of what California has done because it makes sense to me that if we, if you guys out there are creating the template for us to follow, that's okay by me. Uh, no offense to the Midwest where I'm from. Um, you know, we, we, we live a different way. Um, it's a slower pace, uh, but that's a good thing too, by the way. Um, yeah, we can learn things too. I mean, there, it's not, it, it needs to be in, 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 in partnership. But here's the thing with California that I think is the total misconception that the Ted Cruz's and all have. They said, oh, everyone's leaving California and California's uh, bankrupting its economy. Give me a break. I mean, we're responsible for 15% of uh, the GDP of the country, far more than Texas, more than uh, any other uh, state by far. Uh, you've got both uh, in Silicon Valley. I mean, you, whatever you think of these companies, they're driving most of the economic uh, uh, growth of the country. And so someone should just pause and think, okay, if California is able to do all these progressive things and still have a $3 trillion uh, economy, which is probably the sixth or seventh largest in the in the world measured on its own, mm-hmm. still giving uh, birth to uh, Silicon Valley and innovation, then maybe these progressive policies aren't actually a post-economic growth. Maybe having more immigrants in, in your society is actually a good thing for job creation and economic growth. Maybe investing in community colleges. We've had a bill that's passed to say uh, we're going to invest and make community college free. Now, I think it should be let's get all of college free. And this is where I think Cal- we, let's look at what built California, right? I mean, the fact that you had UC Berkeley uh, and, and that was accessible, the fact that you had the community colleges and state universities that were uh, free. I think that's partly what gave rise to things like Silicon Valley. And we need to go back to having that kind of educational uh, excellence. Uh, these are common sense things that I think would be good for, for the country. What's interesting, listening to you now, so you represent the area where Google headquarters is, where Apple headquarters is. Um, I assume Facebook uh, is there 
uh, also. Right, yeah, right? five miles away. Yeah. Okay. So now um, I have to say, being from the uh, Michigan, Detroit, Flint uh, area, yeah. that um, uh, whatever General Motors and Ford wanted, they got, and including they got it from Democrats in Congress, the Democratic representatives from the Detroit and Flint and other areas that had auto factories, they did, they did the things that General Motors wanted them to do, such as don't put these emission, emission controls on our cars. You know, it costs, it costs the company money. They, they were very, as Democrats, active in supporting what the corporate uh, people wanted. I've, I've observed you from afar and I've always thought it interesting that you, the the congressman who represents the area where the headquarters of these massive behemoth, the General Motors of our era in the 21st century are, but you don't necessarily do what what they you're you're not yeah. at their beck and call. How how does that work? Because these are some powerful people, and you're the representative in Congress representing that area. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Someone, the highest compliment I ever got on, on Bernie's campaign was saying uh, that, uh, you know, my decision to support him was actually a tougher decision given the district uh, that I represented. And then it turns out that Bernie Sanders carried my district, carried, carried the district with Apple and Google. And people say, how is this? Uh, let me say a couple reasons uh, why. Uh, first, the, the uh, regulation that, that's most needed of these tech companies, is just like regulation that was needed on GM or uh, or, or uh, the auto companies was may have been on emissions, is a regulation on data. And people say, well, why does that matter? It, it matters because a lot of the extremism or violence that's being uh, perpetrated on social media sites is by collecting people's data and then targeting folks uh, with uh, joining particular extremist groups or hate groups. I mean, QAnon spread on Facebook because Facebook had profiles. You weren't probably getting, Michael, requests to join a QAnon group or uh, weren't getting requests to join I was a not. I was white not. supremacist group. It was very targeted. And suddenly people who were in communities where they would have been fringe have suddenly been connected with thousands of people. So uh, I came up with Tim Berners-Lee, who was one of the founders of the internet, the World Wide Web, with an internet bill of rights, starting with the premise that consumers should have control over their own data and not be manipulated uh, by these platforms. But the second reason why Bernie Sanders in particular resonated is there, there are a lot of workers in these uh, places. I mean, who's actually uh, driving the buses? Who's serving the food? Who's cleaning the buildings? Uh, they're all voters in my district. There are probably more of them than there are uh, the tech executives. So are you, are you implying that Mark Zuckerberg gets only one vote and that, <laughs> and that the janitorial force uh, workforce at Facebook, which could number maybe a thousand people, they each get one vote. And you know, that is, that, that is exactly right. And is it's, that it's, fair though, Ro? Is that really fair <laughs> that Mark only gets one vote considering what he's given us, uh, uh, how he's well, unfortunately, I think Mark is, get, gets a lot of influence from his Facebook platform. So he probably has more influence than, than one vote, but it's still not enough to, to fear him. And, it, and, you know, the big thing that tech gets away with is they go to Congress and then the, the biggest fear members of Congress have is they don't want to look uh, like Luddites. They don't want to look out of touch. Mm. They, they don't want to look like they don't get the future. And so they, 
they they're reluctant to push back, and you and and so tech just gets away uh, with not being challenged in some of these ways. I mean, consider the basic idea of independent contractors or employees. I love the fact. Great, Uber made an app development that allows you to hail uh, a ride wherever you are. That's great. What does that have to do with treating someone like an employee, giving them healthcare benefits, and paying them a fair wage? And then they come up and they say, "Oh, but." We need them to work part time. Give me a break. I, I I had a privilege job of getting to be a lecturer at Stanford. I used to go in and work four hours, teach two courses a week, and I was a lecturer. That's part time. I got to set my own schedule. Guess what? I still was considered an employee. I still got healthcare benefits. Right. So the the idea that it's not innovation to to treat workers poorly. And you look at the basic fact, Michael, which is. From 1938 in this country to 1968, the minimum wage kept in, in, increasing with productivity. If that trend had continued, if workers were actually getting what they were producing, if the janitors and the bus drivers were getting what they were contributing to the economy, the wage today would be $24 an hour. But they haven't, they haven't gotten what they deserve. And uh, that issue is front and center in my district. And why has... So many, why have so many working families been left out? Ro, I tell you, I'm reading in the paper, I'm seeing it online. People tell, both of my sisters live in California. So I hear all these things that California has just passed this bill. California has just made this happen. What was the thing I saw yesterday? Um, You know, of course, the whole country has Obamacare, but remember, part of Obamacare was to also, you know, provide for mental health. Well, California does that. California made sure the insurance companies have to cover mental health, not just physical health, but mental health. And I'm, again, I go, how come we don't have that? How come we don't have that in all 50 states? But you see, when all the power is in the hands of the Democrats, like it is in California, and like I pray to God, it soon will be here nationwide. You'd mentioned earlier, like the gig economy and how many, you know, they've got to be considered employees so they get the benefits. But I think didn't California itself pass some sort of law to start protecting the the workers in in our new gig economy? Um, didn't that also? Am I right in thinking that? Or did, you're absolutely right. They 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 passed it. It's passed the legislature. It's the law. And guess what? Two hundred and twenty million dollars this election, as we speak, with by Uber and Lyft to try to overturn that law in California by a ballot initiative. Oh, really? Wow. But this is why we need federal legislation or privacy legislation. Can you imagine, Michael, that we have no privacy, federal privacy, real federal privacy legislation in this country? I mean, we invented a lot of the technology and it's Europe that's driving the regulations. Now, California has a privacy law, but it's not enforceable. I mean, you just have an attorney general that's doing it, but it, it has some of the good good aspects to it. So why can't you do a federal privacy legislation across uh, across the country? That's something we could do. I mentioned what we could do on police violence. I mentioned what we could do on climate change. I mean, just getting to California's standard would, would help. What California has done on education uh, in terms of uh, uh, higher education uh, would be a good step. We need to do more than what California is doing on K through 12 and early childhood education. We need to look at probably Jerry Brown's father, Pat Brown, and, and that California in terms of the investment. Uh, but now that uh, we have all the branches, California is trying more investment. And that's something 
the federal government could do it. And here's the big difference, right? And California still has to balance its budget because that's how it's it's governed. And in the federal government, we don't have that same uh, same restraint. So you could take California's values and say, look, we're actually going to invest in people and not have the same constraints of having to balance the budget. Uh, the Republicans have never cared. I mean, they for since 1980, Michael, here's what I don't understand. Here's been the Republican playbook. We're going to cut your taxes and we're going to increase defense. And magically, this is going to create 5% growth. And that 5% growth is going to take care of any budget deficits. Of course, the budget deficits keep going uh, up and up. Why don't we just say, we're going to invest in people's healthcare, and we're going to invest in education, and we're going to invest in infrastructure, and this is going to actually create 4 or 5% growth, and this is going to pay for itself. Instead, we get caught up talking about deficits, and they never do, and they, they run the same playbook again and again. It makes, I know it's, it's, I hope people listening to this are, are hearing what you're saying. It's a $3 trillion economy in just California. If California was its own country, as you said, it would be like number six or seven in terms of its GDP. Um, and with the Democrats in charge, instead of everything going to hell in a handbasket, the opposite has occurred. There's because I remember when the Republicans were, were in there, uh, they were having to deal with so much debt and, and deficit. And, and because they had to balance the budget, th- th- there was a lot of chaos, uh, you know, 20 uh, some years ago in yeah. California. The chaos seems to now not only be gone, and it's not that everything's perfect. This is not nirvana out there, but but the corporations and the wealthy are taxed, and those taxes pay for this laundry list that you've been going through here in terms of whether it's you know paying for education the way it should be paid for, and again, it's not enough as you said. Um, but all like, what are some other examples of? of how California has used its resources, has used its tax base to improve uh, the lives of the citizens of California? Public transportation. I mean, we've, we've really invested in uh, electric trains, in, uh, uh, in, in infrastructure of, of public transportation in, in the Bay Area, in BART, uh, in Caltrain. Uh, that has made a, a significant difference. We have invested in uh, providing everyone with basic nutrition and food. So. Uh, it, through uh, uh, a Cal Fresh. So if you're a family and you're struggling and you can't get good nutrition, the view in California and in California schools is uh, better to get young kids and families uh, food uh, so that they have adequate nutrition and can be productive than uh, having them uh, not be be healthy. Uh, we have we're pushing towards getting a, a single payer system. In healthcare, it's passed the assembly. The, the Gavin Newsom ran on it. Uh, and if you look at Canada, the Medicare for all single payer started in Saskatchewan, the province of Saskatchewan. So California, there could be uh, a model, uh, mm. and it's something that uh, you know fed the federal government can look at in terms of how we uh, how we expand uh, the the early childhood education. The focus in California on understanding that young kids. Uh, between zero and three, that their development is essential and putting that investment in there, that's something which we can do uh, at a federal level. In fact, the famous study by James Hankman, who was a Nobel laureate economist, was done in Michigan, uh, Michael, which showed that uh, African-American, poor African-American community where you had intensive investment in early childhood education between the ages of zero and, uh, and, and five, 
yielded huge results in the change change their lives. Right. And and so, you know, that's something California is prioritizing. So you're spending your money on on these things. And I, I assume there's still a few Republicans around uh, that don't like uh, what's what's going on. But uh, nonetheless, it seems like the people of California like these things. It's, it's, it's nice to have mass transit, mass transit that works. New Yorkers, are you listening? Um, it, 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 and how this idea could spread uh, across the country, how Detroit could be building, not, not polluting cars only, uh, internal combustion engines, but, but mass transit things that, you know, real transportation things that don't kill the planet as much as, as the automobile does. Uh, we could be building those things in Flint and Detroit and providing jobs, uh, you know, for people. But but somebody's got to get the ball rolling. Somebody's got to light the spark. Somebody's got to have the idea. And I, I again, we have the situation here. If we paid more attention to California, I just think I just have started to say, well, people say, well, how should we do? How we should we fix this problem? I don't know. What's California doing? That's I've just started to say this, and I, you know, I, I again, like I said, I've lived, I, I lived there for a year, but I wouldn't, I don't want to live there. I don't want to, I, I, I don't like the idea of uh, watching uh, football on Sunday at nine in the morning. Uh, <laughs> he's just, this is like, this is you know, one of the things California needs to do better because a lot of Michigan, uh, the, the, the automakers now have a a, a presence in Silicon Valley because even the automobile is basically becoming a computerized uh, vehicle. But one of the things we have to do better is when you had manufacturing in this country, uh, you didn't just have manufacturing in uh, Michigan or in Cleveland. You had manufacturing in many different parts of, of the country. And a lot of uh, places were connected to manufacturing. So if you were a energy producing town, you benefited when manufacturing succeeded. If you were a transportation or railroad town, you benefited when manufacturing succeeded. One of the challenges with the digital economy has been that the wealth creation has been very concentrated. When Silicon Valley creates all this wealth, uh, it doesn't really translate into uh, the, a black community in the South creating wealth or in Michigan or Ohio, a community creating wealth. And I really think one of our challenges is how do we distribute wealth creation and jobs uh, in a digital age uh, where you don't actually have all to have all these jobs in Boston, Austin or Silicon Valley, and, and you can prepare people uh, for more of these jobs. And if we do that, because not everyone, no one wants, everyone doesn't want to live in Santa Clara or Palo Alto for a host of reasons. You want people to be able to live in the communities they grew up in, but have access to these new jobs. And, and that's something I think that we could figure out if we get all three branches of or both chambers and, and the White House. If you remember Obama's first two years, he had essentially, he had the House and the Senate. He had, you know, there were independents who caucused with the Democrats and, and gave him uh, the majority. But, you know, if you remember, you know, Obama is such a nice guy. If you read his books, you know, he's all, always trying to right. cal calm people down. And, you know, he talked about, you know, when he was in college and he walked in the the law review and he's the black guy in the room and everybody's starting to get a little nervous. And he's, his first thought is I got to just calm the, the white people down. They don't need to be afraid, <laughs> afraid of me. And uh, they, and, uh, and, and he, and he governed like that the first couple of years, it was like, let's just hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Whereas on the night of his inauguration, uh, McConnell and all the Republicans, uh, they had a dinner somewhere there in DC I went out to dinner and decided this is how we're going to stop him. We're going to just block everything. 
And um, so he got Obamacare through and he got a couple things through. But after that, after the Tea Party came in in 2010 and they uh, they took back, um, uh, they took first they, they took back the House and they took back the Senate. And then he didn't have what he needed to get any, anything really substantive through. And so, yeah. um, so what's good about if, you know, this, what's good about this happening where we control the house, the Senate and uh, the white house. And I say again, we, cause we are not Joe Biden, um, but we are also the squad and, you know, the squad, these uh, four women, this is now in being increased by double or triple uh, due to this election. So we're, there's going to be more of a, pro, more of a progressive voice and you're in the progressive caucus there. So, you know, this. Yeah, no, it's, it's been incredible. I mean, the energy that, first of all, the, the, the profile they built and the voice they've had is uh, people forget they're freshman members of Congress. I mean, the idea in freshman members of Congress was uh, don't be heard. And they are, they have more of a following probably than almost anyone in Congress. And, and they have uh, allowed, they have expanded the agenda in very bold ways. And then they're going to be joined by Jamal Bowman and Cory Bush and Mondor Jones and all of them. I mean, we're going to have a vibrant, uh, progressive caucus that's going to be pushing the envelope on getting us out of bad wars, on providing free public college, on canceling student debt that's hurting working families, on having a bold vision for climate change, on getting at least a $15 livable wage, on strengthening unions, on having real reform in the laws so that we don't have police violence, on having massive investments in public health. This is going to be the agenda. And frankly, uh, we need a lot more than just two years of uh, Democrats in uh, the House and Senate and the, and the White House uh, to get this done. I think the mistake would be if we don't do uh, a bold agenda. It, look, um, Christina Romer and Paul Krugman and others were right that Obama needed twice the stimulus and Rahm Emanuel was just flat out wrong. And while I credit Obama for getting what he did, uh, part of the reason that people were felt left out is that the stimulus and what we did wasn't enough. And we, we can't repeat that mistake now. We have to really be rise to the crisis we're in. The, the, the fact that it wasn't enough was one of the things that contributed to, uh, it really took to about 2017 to pull out of the crash of 08. Uh, it took many more years than it needed to. Um, and, and, and when COVID-19 began, uh, I think people had the right idea. We need to put we need to put money in people's pockets because they're not going to make it, and and they will spend that money and that will keep people working. Um, that idea was a good idea a number of months ago, and now of course it's gone. But it's it. I mean, how does California handle a situation like this um, in terms of of having that safety net, of having that cushion for when? you know, uh, something happens like this and you have your own natural disasters uh, taking place there with the fires and uh, other things that, uh, you know, happen in California. So tell us how, how just help us put us in that California state of mind. Sure. Well, California uh, has of course puts a lot of investment in uh, our firefighters in uh, public health uh, in uh, our public uh, agencies, and to the extent we can, we provide uh, generous uh, assistance in terms of our unemployment uh, comparatively to, to other states. 
But the reality is California is hurting uh, because we do have to have a balanced budget by law, and we're fifty uh, billion in the hole. And this is why we really need the federal government to step up uh, with uh, giving money to states and, and and local governments. I mean, states simply, even if you're California, you simply cannot on your own handle uh, a crisis because you don't have the ability to print money and you don't have the ability to deficit spend. And uh, the businesses are shutting down in in our area and people, even though we have a rent moratorium, that their their debts are piling up. And it's because of the inaction of this White House. Now, here's the difference, actually. It's a classic difference between McConnell and uh, Democrats. So you mentioned when Obama came into to, to, to power, uh, McConnell said, we're not going to do anything. We're, we're, we're going to obstruct. So Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats five months ago passed a $3 trillion stimulus bill, and we were begging the White House to take it. And the irony is that would have probably, in my view, been the biggest benefit to Donald Trump. I mean, he would have literally had had his signature go out on those stimulus checks, and he would have gotten $3 trillion he could claim credit for. And the Democrats just had such a sense of we've got to do what the right thing is. We that the speaker was literally begging the White House to do it, and he couldn't get Bacala, he couldn't get his own party on board with doing something that was in his own self interest. Can you paint a picture for us, Ro, of of what we could actually actually accomplish? And I'm I'm not asking you to just talk about the Biden Harris uh, platform, but because I think the my sense is that the people are are. Uh, a few steps ahead of that platform. And, um, you know, every poll was showing back during the primaries that uh, even when they pulled people, Democrats coming out of the polling places in Mississippi and Alabama and the Democratic yeah. primaries, uh, when they asked about Medicare for all, uh, the, the voters said, yes, I want that. And, and <laughs> I noticed like the next week, they up, they changed the question because they thought, okay, no, they, they got to understand. So they asked the next time they asked the question coming out of the polls, it was, how do you feel about the government, the government controlling and paying for uh, your health care? <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's still people, the majority still wanted it. They still wanted them. What we call Medicare for all, or what I call the Canadian system. Uh, they, they, that's how do we, how, tell just walk me through. We've got a Democratic Senate, we've got a Democratic House, we've got more progressives, we've got the squad has increased. All of this is, and 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 we've got Joe Biden, who is not an ideologue, and I think can be spoken to. Uh, I agree with that. Do you agree yeah. with that? I do. I think the way he dealt with Bernie Sanders and uh, courted him and has uh, solicited his opinion. It's actually what I respect, developed the most respect for Joe Biden. I mean, they're obviously I criticized certain things in, in the primary, but he has uh, an ability to build a coalition and it's not lip service. He, he really does uh, seek to, to, to get people's input. And I think people around Bernie and Bernie himself felt very fairly treated and valued. And which makes me think that this, this is a Joe Biden who uh, will be cognizant of the mistakes that were made in the past and is understands where the energy is. He's a very good politician. He's astute, and, and he's going to want to cement that that legacy. Uh, and so, I I do think he's he's open to uh, uh, to, to listening to progressive ideas. Okay, so we have a, a president who will listen. We have a president who you know, I've met him a few times. He has he's a de- he is what Bernie says is right. He is a decent guy. He's he has a heart. 
Um, he, he did grow up in the working class and he hasn't forgotten it. And so, so I'm hopeful that, um, if he's not with us on some of these things that we were trying to put forth here with Bernie's campaign, paint the picture for me, democratic Senate, democratic house, the Democrat in the white house. What are some of the things we can possibly get through and bills signed in the next year or two or three or four, what just, just give me, and I'm not asking you to throw candy out uh, no, to, no, to the no, voters no. here, but I think, I think if people are still trying to search for a reason, why do I want to be involved in this? Politics is corrupt. It's all, it's all a bunch of hooey. I, I think that I wanted to have you on today because I, as a Californian, as a member of Congress, but as a Californian, You've been a, a you've had a front row seat to how California has become a better state um, because because the Democratic Party, with all of its flaws and all of its, you know, whatever shortcomings, whatever you want to call it, has pushed forward and made life a bit better for for the average person. And if I'm wrong about that, say so. But if it, no, but you, you have, you've just told us all these things that have been improved since the Democrats took control. Now imagine. Immigration is a huge thing because this is why Pete Wilson, Pete Wilson in, in many ways is the Donald Trump of uh, his time on a statewide basis. He ran on an anti-Latino agenda saying that uh, uh, we should not give any services, including public schools, to people who are undocumented. And there was such a backlash against him. Uh, that's really what led to uh, Democrats sweeping uh, mm. across the state. I mean, pe- this is not a state that uh, uh, hates immigrants. And it's turned out that we, uh, as a by and large, do not have a huge problem when it comes to uh, people uh, getting along and working together uh, in and in, in realizing that uh, uh, everyone's going to benefit. You know, let me just one detailed example, but it's worth mentioning. In in nineteen in the nineteen sixties, California, which did have somewhat of an anti-immigrant uh, sentiment, said we're going to stop uh, farm workers from from coming in from from Mexico and other places uh, because uh, we think they're taking uh, jobs of native Californians. Well, it turns out a year later or so, the policy was overturned because when they stopped the farmers from from coming in, it wasn't Californians that got the jobs. The jobs just got automated. And what ended up happening is uh, California lost all of that tax revenue and they lost all of the, the money that the undocumented were spending in the economy. So it was totally out to be a disastrous policy. Mm. And California realized that actually having immigrants that were productive uh, was going to do more for California's economy. And I, I think that that sentiment is a, a real key uh, to some of California's success. Before we go any further um, with the congressman here, uh, if you don't mind, I just need to acknowledge our underwriter who supports this uh, podcast. They're called Express VPN, and uh, now you've heard me talk about uh, them. Those of you listening to me, as one of our great underwriters here, willing to stand with us and what we do here in Rumble, I've talked to you about how good they are about you know protecting your security and your privacy online and all that. You know, working and keeping the NSA out of your phone calls. And your text and uh, your business. Well, <laughs> there's another reason I want to tell you why it's also good to have Express uh, VPN, and it's 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 pretty cool. And I don't know, you know, I I, I asked them, am I going to get in trouble for like 
telling the public this. They said, no, no, it's all, it's all legit. I'm saying, wow, because man, I have had this problem and I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. Okay. So everybody, you know that when, if you've got Netflix or YouTube or, you know, everybody's got YouTube, right? Hulu uh, or any other streaming channels, they'll only show you the movies and TV shows that are available in the country you're in, right? You've seen those things that come up. You are in the wrong country. You're in the wrong region, right? Okay. But if you have Express VPN on your devices, this lets you change your online location. Why am I lowering my voice? Because I think we're getting away with something here we shouldn't be able to. No, seriously. If you have Express VPN, it lets you change your online location so you can control where you want the sites to think you're located, where they want. You want them to think you're someplace else. So something comes up and it says, oh, this is only available in Canada. Well, by using your Express VPN, you are suddenly, magically, in Canada or India or France. Where do you want to be from today? I want to be from wherever I can watch this goddamn movie. Okay. Well, ExpressVPN allows you to change countries and unblock, unblock thousands of new shows and movies that you should have the right to see. So let's say you're sitting out there somewhere in New Jersey or Kansas or whatever, and you want to watch the new Doctor Who that's not here yet in the U.S. You want to watch Doctor Who on UK Netflix. Well, guess what? Hit the button and all of a sudden you're in Liverpool, right? You, you want to watch something that's only on Australian Netflix? Boom. Hello, you're in Sydney. All of us, or how about some, oh, some cool Japanese anime. Okay. I can put you in Tokyo just with a push of the button here using your Express VPN. This works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, Netflix, YouTube, you name it. So here's a special deal for all our Rumble listeners. Just go to ExpressVPN, that's V as in Victor, P as in Paul, N as in Nancy, ExpressVPN.com and then slash Rumble. You got to type that in, slash Rumble, ExpressVPN.com slash Rumble to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free when you sign up. That's expressvpn.com slash rumble. Thank you for being our underwriter and uh, supporting us in what we do. And thank you for letting me live in Liverpool, even if just for a day. Okay, now back to our congressman here and back to this idea, back to our idea of making America, California again. Money. Now, America. Yes. The federal government. Democrat in the White House, Democratic Senate, Democratic House. Walk us through, beginning in the first month or two, what starts to happen in our Congress. What bills start to make their way to the president's desk? What? What? Don't just give me paint that. You're there. You. You. You must have. You must have a personal uh, triage list of an agenda of what you'd like to see happen, as do other Democrats. Um, what's this look like? Tell us what the, if this happens. I'll tell you what I think will happen, not just what, what my wish list is, but what I think actually will happen. Uh, I think within the first month, you will have a, uh, a massive stimulus bill, 3 to $4 trillion uh, stimulus bill that will be retroactive, where people will get uh, some help uh, uh, in terms of stimulus. I mean, some of us have proposed $2,000 a month. Uh, I don't know whether we'll get quite $2,000 a month and whether it'll be for four or five months, but you will get some significant stimulus beyond one check uh, to help with 
uh, all of the expenses given this COVID crisis. You okay. will get help. So right now, I'm telling you right now, thousands of people listening to you say that are going from your lips to God's ears. Seriously. I mean, do you know how, how hard it is right now for people trying to make it, trying to make it, not knowing if they're going to get evicted or have their mortgage foreclosed or. And you know, the money, when, when we, we, we get the Fed printing money or when money is going to, to, to lend to corporations or to banks, no one ever says, how are we getting that money? It's, it's mind boggling to me why we can't get money into the hands of people who are actually going to spend it on groceries, spend it on their rent or their mortgage. And we've, we've totally forsaken folks. That has been the issue, right? The issue wasn't that we had shutdowns uh, to keep people safe. The issue is that the government asked people to shut down uh, to keep people safe and then didn't do anything. So we're saying you can't make a living uh, and then we're not giving you any compensation to make ends meet. That was the real crime against working families. And we should have been giving $2,000 a month uh, from March. From okay, when, So that, this is going to happen probably right away. This will happen. And this is not just the Progressive Caucus. Uh, this is uh, the broader uh, House Democratic Caucus uh, that will do this. And now how much it's going to be and how many months that will be negotiated, but people will get some relief and they're going to get some relief on paying their rent and their mortgages. And uh, that's going to be direct money in people's pockets. Okay. So that's the economic side of the pandemic. What what will these two houses and the White House that are in the hands of one party, what will that party and, and the its representatives, our representatives, do to fight this virus, to, to, to somehow save lives? Because this is crazy now that we've, Dr. Fauci told us once ago, we must never get to what he called the apocalyptic number of 100,000 new cases a day. And now here we are. Let, let me say a few things which may sound obvious, but will make a huge difference. Uh, when people say, okay, we're going to listen to science, it's not just rhetoric. I'll give you a real concrete example because it came out of uh, University of California, San Francisco. There was a study done on mask wearing. You know, forget making the argument that masks is about the social good. Masks is actually in your self-interest. The study found that not only did masks significantly decrease your chances of getting COVID, here was the kicker. If you did get COVID and you were wearing a mask, the amount of inoculum you got made it highly likely that you would be asymptomatic because you were only going to get a little bit of inoculum. So if we have a White House and a Senate and a House talking about why it's in people's self-interest to wear masks and that this is not some communitarianism or some uh, 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 altruism, this is actually what the scientists are telling you is going to keep you and your family safe. I think that will make a difference. I know people say, oh, what's the plan? That leadership matters. What, what leaders do uh, matter. Now, beyond that, uh, there are things that, that we will get done. First is having contact tracing. We probably need 300,000 people to uh, to, to, to do contact tracing. I mean, my guess is, and you may not even know this, that there's, you know, that there's an app that, uh, that, that, that Google and Apple have created, which allows people to, to do contact tracing. It, the irony is, even though these are U.S. companies, that app is being used by like 33 or 40% of people in Ireland, 25% of people in Germany. And here, no one even knows about it. It hasn't been used. Wow. Why is that? Why, why wow. can't we get basic contact tracing, uh, either through apps or, or through hiring people uh, to do that. You, you, do, th- th- you know what the, the tragedy of this crisis is, Michael? There are certain things that are really complex, right? But, but getting a vaccine for this, that's really complex. But the point is, there were, this was so simple. 
in some ways. If he had just come, I actually think he would have had a landslide re-election if he had just stood up in front of the American people in March and said, here's what we need to do. We all need to wear masks because this is what the, the study is saying. Uh, and, you know, he keeps blaming Fauci and stuff. So Fauci and all, they, they didn't want people to panic and get those masks when we were in a crisis and you needed them for healthcare workers. But once they came in and said the data shows that we need masks, if he had said we need masks, and he said, uh, and we need to make sure that we're contact tracing and figuring out what the source of the virus is, we would have probably been able to reduce the death rate at least fourfold if you look at what other countries have done. And that's what I think is such an indictment on on American governance. I mean, you're talking about American exceptionalism, American democracy, the fact that we couldn't get our institutions to do such simple things. And this is a place where I will brag about California and the Bay Area, because Sarah Cody in my district in public health, turns out she was married to someone at Stanford, an epidemiologist. She was one of the first people in the country to say, uh, let's lock down. Uh, And Newsom did it four days after that. It was weeks before uh, New York and other states did it. And it's one of the reasons that the death rate hasn't been uh, nearly as high. And you look at San Francisco or the Bay Area and, and look at the, the the amount of fatalities, look at the amount of people infected. And it's been a totally different than uh, no, many. I, I, I noticed because, of course, I, I decided I was working in New York when the lockdown happened. And so I didn't get back to Michigan. And, um, man, I lived through that. One out of every 300 New Yorkers died um, during that time. And, and there at, during that time, there was a story in the news that the mayor of San Francisco, she actually started the San Francisco lockdown before Gavin Newsom did it a few days or a week later for the state. Yeah. Four days apart. But it was like, there was a point there in the first month or two, the total number of deaths in San Francisco was like eight it was it was eight an hour here in coordination with six counties in Santa Clara, Alameda County, and it was largely at Dr. Sarah Cody. I mean, she really should be a hero. She's her story is not told enough, but it was largely at her direction because she had someone she knew, an epidemiologist, was telling her every hour you wait is going to uh, make this problem exponentially worse. Well, having uh, Biden in there and, and being someone who listens, I know he's not going to disregard actual scientists. When they're telling him what uh, what the what the problem is, so taking just these basic measures of having a uh, a president and a Senate and a House which are on the same page, uh, and having contact tracing, using these apps that our country developed but every other country in the world is taking advantage of, uh, it, that would go a, a long way. And then, of course, once we get a vaccine, making sure that it's equitably distributed, that it's it's actually getting to to communities. And this is something which it's safe when it's safe. Okay. So, so the Democrats completely in charge the first few weeks, as you said now with COVID, which I think is number one in everyone's mind that uh, there's, there are going to be measures taken to fight this and to reduce the number of cases and deaths. Um, uh, tr- science will be trusted and, and there will be such a massive stimulus bill passed and signed uh, so that people do not have to feel like they're going to end up out on the curb um, and that they can c- get through this. That's going to happen right away. But now I ask you, let's go back to the, to the drawing board. I want you to continue to paint that picture of what's going to happen because we won't have to try to convince Republicans 
to come into the 20th century or to have a heart or whatever. We're just going to pass this stuff and Biden is going to sign it or some version of it. What else? What else is, is let people know that, that if our federal government is more like California's where the Democrats control all, all three seats here, um, what's going to happen? Well, then I think you're going to start to see some of the best legislation on uh, workers' rights that we've seen in decades. And that's because I think Joe Biden actually uh, has a very progressive platform. If you go to his platform on this issue of workers' rights, you're going to get legislation that says we need a $15 uh, minimum wage, which is not just for people making minimum wage. That's going to have a effect up the uh, up the income scale where uh, people, people are finally going to start to get pay raises. You're going to see an expansion, the earned income tax credit, which may seem technical, but basically that means if you're making 50, 60, 70 grand, uh, you're going to get a tax credit money back from the federal government of five, 6,000, which is going to be a, a direct raise in, in for you and your pocketbooks. You're going to see uh, the proper classification of employees. So if you're in a job uh, where you're an independent contractor and not getting health care or child care benefits where everyone else is, uh, you're going to be properly classified. You're going to see card check, which means you can join a union uh, without having uh, the retaliatory campaigns of the employer and laws against retaliation. Uh, you're going to see a fun- fundamental worker bill of rights, uh, which means that people are going to get uh, child care. They're going to be treated fairly and safely. I mean, right now in some places, Amazon fulfillment centers, I order Amazon, other people do too, but people are being treated like sardines packed in these Amazon warehouses. No sense of uh, any precautions that need to be taken, PPE that needs to be provided. All of that will be changed. So I think you will have in the first, I I would say even the first three months, very pro-worker legislation pass. Wow, that is such... uh... At a, at a time when it seemed like unions were going to just completely die. If that could turn around, that would be such an important thing. Okay, so workers' rights, unions, et cetera. Uh, if you're a working class person, there's going to be an increase in the minimum wage. There's going to be a living wage. Uh, and $15 at some point may no longer be enough to call that a living wage. But for now, you think that will pass. We'll have an increase in our minimum wage. Yeah. And the reason I say these things will pass is some of these things have already passed out of the House. They've just been stalled because we don't have the Senate or the White House. So if we've already passed it in the House and we're only going to get a more progressive House, that means that the legislation is only going to get better. Uh, and if we have the Senate, and uh, that that means that's actually going to become law. Okay. What other ways can we turn into Californians here? Uh, what about the, the free community college? Uh, do you think that's going to happen? With a, with well, there are two places I think that... that it will happen. I think free community college will happen uh, because that was something that even Obama towards the end of his term uh, supported. So I, I could see Biden getting uh, behind that. And I think he, while he's probably not at a uh, free public college uh, or free vocational training for everyone as uh, the progressive wing is behind, I could see him uh, saying at least for working in middle-class families uh, that that should be free. And that, that was a bill that a compromise bill that Bernie actually introduced uh, uh, right after 2016. I could see that getting support and, and actually passing. And then, you know, Biden has actually been pretty good on student debt relief. And uh, he, he had a provision of $10,000 uh, cancellation of student debt uh, in one of the early stimulus bills that didn't, that got stripped out through the entire legislative process. 
but I could see him prioritizing uh, getting some relief to people with with student debt. Hmm. Wow, that w- that would be great. Not just for the forty seven million. Here's what people forget: those forty seven million often have spouses and kids and family whose entire lives are changed because of that debt. So it's a it's an I- issue that affects probably a hundred million people. Wow, right. What about uh, what about marijuana? Um, uh, can we go California on that? Um, in, in, at the very least, um, can we see the law change changed in this country so that uh, nobody's going to prison because they possess marijuana? Well, I've been, you know, Michael, one of the earliest advocates of legalization of marijuana. I think it's a no-brainer. It's a the legalization is a and getting it off Schedule C is a is is a bit of a tougher lift with some of the just bluntly. Uh, older older members of Congress. Now, maybe there will be a, a change, but some of the previous generation are, 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 have been somewhat resistant to that. But what you're saying in terms of decriminalization, uh, I think that can absolutely get- At the very least, yes. At the very right. least. And, 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 and that can get through a lot on racial justice lines. I mean, we know that if you smoke a joint in a suburban uh, public high school, uh, you're probably not going to end up in jail versus if you do it in- uh, a community that's largely black or, or or Latino, it could ruin your life because you get a, a, an arrest record and all the consequences. So uh, having decriminalization, having expungement of arrest records, having uh, moves a, a, against mandatory minimums for drug offenses, all of that, I think, is 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 something that will will get passed. And eventually, legalization will get passed, uh, what we have in uh, California, but, but that's going to take uh, some time. What what about um, uh, the environment? What what is going to happen in this first session of Congress under the all democratic, twenty four seven democratic uh, government here? Eliminate fossil fuel subsidies, which is going to go a long way in uh, creating a basic level playing field. Have massive investments in solar, in, in wind, uh, in battery storage, in uh, in, in building design that's going to. Uh, have 21st century uh, economy, uh, green energy economy, and us leading. Uh, and I, I, I see a a massive push in a bill that uh, will will pass. And having some price on carbon, not for working families, but for the the big corporations, that will incentivize uh, some of these corporations to start uh, diversifying their economy. Uh, I think he will do. He will look at what what needs to be done and and, and start creating these new jobs. Paris, uh, Paris Climate Accords. What? what about? Well, we'll be back in that. Yeah, right, right away, right. Right away, right away. Yeah. And I don't even think that needs needs Congress. I mean, I I don't know if it needs the Senate or not, but I I think Biden can just get back in there. But I'm I'm sorry to have to point this out again. This is another California idea because once Trump pulled out of Paris, um, the California Gavin Newsom. You guys just immediately said, well, we like we are essentially the sixth largest economy in the world. So we're going to have our own. We're not pulling out of the Paris Accords. We're still going to follow the Paris Accords. I thought that was that was so cool to hear that. No, I I appreciate your pointing that out. And it's one of the reasons Trump uh, uh, unfairly brags about environmental statistics that don't look as bad. I mean, even though he's tried everything to damage it, because it turns out most of the country said uh, we're going to just continue to do our best to, to comply on state and local levels. But uh, uh, now you're going to actually have a federal government that's a partner as opposed to someone trying to sabotage it. With the Democrats in control, what's going to happen with health care? Well, here is, uh, I think there's going to be a genuine debate, right? I mean, there are those of us who believe that we need to expand 
Medicare and that that's the uh, the the right way of doing it. Uh, others want to build on the Affordable Care Act and a public option. Uh, it's not that I'm opposed to a public option, but if, if you're going to have a public option where you're still going to have high deductibles and you're still going to have uh, high premiums and you're still going to have co-pays, then people are going to go and they're not going to like the that experience. And, and you're going to have the same challenge with public confidence. So I, I think one of the best ways that we can push and maybe get consensus is to say, let's extend Medicare. Biden's at 60. Maybe we can get him to 55. You know, Lieberman, we would have had, by the way, Medicare extended to 55 uh, if it weren't for one person in this country, and that's Joe Lieberman. He literally killed the extension of Medicare to 55 during the whole Affordable Care Act debate. So uh, I think getting to, to an extension of Medicare 55 50, uh, I can see that being a reasonable, achievable goal in, in a Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is going to take a little more work, uh, this one. Is California going to get its Medicare for all bill? through or, or is that going to happen this is something i feel strongly about i i many of us we, we even gavin ran on it uh he should pass it i mean and 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 i have a bill uh, that would allow a waiver that would you know people keep saying well vermont didn't work vermont didn't work the reason vermont didn't work is the federal government didn't give it the waivers that it needed it couldn't use the medicare and medicaid money to create a single-payer system well how can you expect the state to have its medicare medicaid obligations and also have single payer without getting that federal funds. So if we get the waiver, which I do think would pass under a Biden administration, then you could have a state like California or other states uh, like Massachusetts, where there's a single payer movement, uh, do that at a statewide level and show its success. There are three cities that I know of now that are going to let 16-year-olds vote, at least on, on local or, or state issues in California. Uh, I, I believe San Francisco, uh, Berkeley, and Oakland are, are, have passed their own legislation uh, to do this. I've always been a fan of lowering the voting age. They're doing it now in many countries. Austria has done it. Scotland did it. Uh, uh, Brazil um, uh, it's, it's, it's not a crazy idea and it gets young people involved while they're in high school and what, exactly and what they're going to have to be doing. Their future is just two years away and they're having no say from everything from, you know, if we're being sent to war, they're going to fight the war and they have no say in that lead up to the war. Uh, so I don't, I've always, I've always liked, I like the idea of doing this. I, I see other countries doing it and I think, you know, why don't we try it? And now California, parts of California, are trying that. Yes. And it, it, here's the Ayanna Presley, who's part of the squad, had a bill in the House to, to do this that uh, quite a few people supported. And I think it can generate even more support. The best argument, I think, for doing it when someone is high, in high school is after high school, a lot of people leave uh, their hometown. They either are going to college or they're getting some training or they've got a job somewhere else. And so your first experience when you become a registered voter is in a community where you never grew up and you never lived in. And so obviously it's probably people don't feel as connected to get and vote, to get up and vote. And it's, I think, one of the reasons that young voters participation is so low. Yeah. Imagine if you were doing it at 16 where someone is a sophomore or junior in high school mm-hmm. and now you have as part of your high school class, the obligation to register reminders about voting. My guess is you would see that participation go through the roof and people would be voting in their first election 
in a community that they felt connected to. And in these in these countries where they've lowered the voting age to 16, the teachers do that. They bring the candidates in. They have debates. They have assemblies. They get kids really, really involved because they are they, they do get to have a say now. They get to tell the adults what to do at 16. It's And, and they've done this study where the, the countries that have lowered it to 16, just what you said, what they have found comparing it to the countries where 18 is the voting age, the countries where it's 16, more of those citizens in their 20s show up to vote every year, every other year than the countries where the voting age is 18 because they started them young. They started at 16 while they were in school. And like you said, part of a community that the, the, the data is already in on that, that you will have a more engaged citizen if you start them in high school as opposed to after high school. That's a great fact. I think we should share these studies uh, with other members of Congress. But this is something that uh, I think there's an increasing ability to get done, at least when you look at the four-year term for, for Joe Biden. And, and there's a great admiration, a genuine admiration, respect for what young people have done in this country on climate change, on gun violence, on the whole movement this summer. Yeah. The, after George, George Floyd's uh, lynching, uh, the whole movement was young people at the forefront. They, they've really been ahead on, as a moral conscience on, on so many issues, whether it's police violence or climate change. And, 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 uh, and so I think that that's where the energy is coming from. And uh, if they have the right to vote, that can only help uh, move this country in a more just direction. So you don't think I'm, I'm up here in some starry, starry-eyed uh, place floating above the earth when I think about California when I think about what we could learn from California and what our federal government would look like if we just didn't have to do battle with people who believe that the earth is just 6,000 years old, that if just to give, just give us a breather here for a bit and let us try to fix some of this. I say this all the time when I, when I run into people, you know, conservative people stop me and I don't like what you, I said, yeah, but look at it this way. If we do get, free healthcare for everybody, we're going to cover you too, you know? And when we don't go into that next stupid war, we're not sending your daughter or your son off to war. We're going to, you get the benefit from all these things. We're not just doing it like Republicans do for themselves. I'm going to get this tax bill passed so I don't have to pay taxes. You know, this is the democratic way is everybody, everybody gets a loaf of bread. Everybody gets a fish, everybody, you know, and, and why, Jim Clyburn's, we didn't even talk about this, but high-speed internet, rural broadband that, uh, like we did in the New Deal with rural electrification, uh, where everyone should be connected online so that they can have uh, conversations like what we're having, uh, that will end up benefiting uh, rural red communities more. Here's the irony about Donald Trump, which I, for the life of me, don't understand why people don't see. The people who have done the best in Donald Trump's economy have been some of the corporations in my district. I mean, if if you voted for Donald Trump because you wanted to see Silicon Valley make more money, uh, you succeeded. I mean, Apple's now worth nearly $2 trillion. Google's doing great. Uh, some of the New York uh, funds are doing great. Uh, but if you are living in, uh, in, in Ohio or Pennsylvania or in Kentucky or West Virginia, and you're thinking, well, how, what happened for my economy? Uh, the, the story is not the same. And, and the Democrats actually will be focused on the communities that have been left out. 
My pitch to them is not about some abstract conception of save American democracy and our constitutional values. My pitch is very direct. Most of the folks have been struggling. They think that government has not done anything to help their lives. They're struggling either to pay their rent, they're struggling with student debt, they're struggling because they don't enough make enough money uh, to, to provide for their families. And I would say to them, our focus, once we uh, have this opportunity, is going to be directly to make your life better. We're going to put more money in your pockets in terms of stimulus. We're going to get fight like anything to get you health care uh, so you don't have these premiums and co-pays. Uh, we're going to make sure that you don't have to uh, bankrupt yourself to provide your kids uh, with education or childcare. And I would say uh, this is going to be a team effort. You have a lot of progressives in the House that are going to demand this and hold us accountable. You know, hold us accountable. If we, uh, if you give us all three, uh, the cha- two chambers in the White House, and we don't deliver in in two years, you can hold me to it. Don't you don't have to come out again if you don't see your life improving. But uh, I am confident that this uh, that that we are going to be able to do this in a material way where your life is going to get better in the way it deserves. Wow. Well put. Um, I really want to thank you for being on uh, my podcast here and uh, helping to uh, explain the California vision of how we could all be participating in that. And I want to thank actually anybody listening to this who lives in California, who's participated politically in these, in this last decade or so of not only turning California around, but coming up with all these wonderful ideas to make not only California great, but ones that we need to, I think, adopt and, and make America, California great. Um, I, I think we could all benefit from that. So thank you, Californians listening. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Ro Khanna, uh Congressman from the 17th District in California, um, co- the Congressman from Cupertino. There's, there's, I've just given you the title. There you go. Thank you for what you've done and um, and being with us here. Very powerful, Michael. Thank you. Wow. So that was a great conversation with Congressman Ro Khanna from California. And as you heard, what if we were all California? I don't mean just the good weather or your house on fire. I don't mean those things. Okay. I'm talking about what if... We succeed in Georgia here at the beginning of January. My friends, we can do this. People of Georgia, you can do it. People listen to this who have a friend or family member or classmate, former classmate in Georgia that you can call, encourage them to get involved. I'm going to tell you some things right now. So you might want to write this down or, or you can listen to it again, or I'll, I'll post it right here on the podcast site. So, um, because these are very important dates. Uh, that are coming up and um, our success in Georgia is going to depend on a number of you making this happen. So here's what you've got to do. All right. First of all, these are the key dates to remember regarding the Georgia Senate runoff election. Uh, Number one, voting registration. You must be a registered voter. If you're already registered there, don't worry about it. You're registered. If you haven't registered and you live there, December 7th is the voter registration deadline. Monday, December 7th. You've got to get registered by then. And remember, you can go online. You can go in person to your city clerk, county clerk, office, whatever. So right here on my podcast page, uh, there's a link 
uh, you can go to, it'll take you right to the government page, the state of Georgia, where you can register right now. Okay. Now they have early voting for, even for a special runoff in Georgia, they have early in-person voting that begins a week later on Monday, December 14th. So that's the smart thing to do. Show up early and vote. That's what people did all across Georgia for this election. Look how well that, that turned out. So early voting begins Monday, December 14th and goes for three weeks, right up to the day before the election on uh, December 4th. So vote early. That's a great thing. And you may have to go on the, the site there to find out you know, where your polling place is. I, I can't guarantee it's the same place you vote in the general election. So make sure you just don't get tripped up by that. And then election day is Tuesday, January 5th. That is the day. That is the day Georgia can save this country. Can we take two more years of Republicans? Well, they, they won't be ruling the country, but they will block every good thing that Biden and Harris need to do to save people's lives with this pandemic and all the other work that needs to get started. So who are the two Democrats that are running? Uh, the Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, and he's running against Senator Kelly Loeffler. And the other Democrat is John Ossoff. And he is running against current Senator David Perdue, one of the most corrupt people in the United States Senate. So you're voting for Warnock against Leffler, and you're voting for Ossoff against Purdue. Let me also remind you that um, you're a registered voter, and uh, you may want to vote early, but you don't want to go stand in line. You can't. You're not well. You're old. It doesn't matter. I, th I don't think you have to have a reason there. Just request an absentee ballot and uh, do it now so you get it and you get it back in time. Um, I've got links to all this on the podcast uh, description page here, wherever you're listening to me, whether it's on Apple or Anchor, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Radio Public, whatever. Uh, just go down, look for this, click on it. And, uh, and, and a reminder to 17-year-olds, if you're 18 on or before January 5th, you can register right now. You don't have to wait. You can register at 17 years old. You can vote early beginning on December 14th while you're still 17 because you're going to be 18 on the official election day. You'll be 18 by then. So, man, get involved. Right now, you're a senior in high school, 17 years old. What a great historic election for you, that to be your first election. Now, listen, to everybody who doesn't live in Georgia, I want to encourage you to follow Stacey Abrams' groups that are on the ground in Georgia. Get involved with them. Support them. Um, they've got things for you to do. You can send them money. All of that um, is needed. Uh, the groups are Fair Fight Action, Fair Fight Action, and the New Georgia Project. And again, I've got links, 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 I say, to all of this right here on this page. So please, please click on one of these links. Please get involved. We have no choice, my friends. Look at what has been going on here. I mean, this has been more insanity. After the people of America have spoken in such large numbers, goodbye, Don. He doesn't want to leave. Well, we knew this was going to happen. He doesn't want to leave. He won't leave. 
He's mucking around with the vote. He's got Giuliani running all over the place. And yes, it's funny watching the the black drip from his hair. I guess what? The New York Times said it wasn't hair dye that was running down his face. I knew that. I could see right away that it was a leak in his brain that was coming down the side of his head onto his onto his cheek. If you know anything about brain fluid, that that was serious brain fluid uh, coming out. You've heard of the term brain fart, right? Okay. Well, that's essentially what happened there. Uh, Giuliani had a brain fart. And I, I don't want to get too gross here, but you know how certain farts can be, let's just say there could be a dry fart and there could be the other kind. And I think that he had the other kind coming right out of his brain and popped right up, popped right through his skin. And, and that was, that was serious brain juice. I hope, I hope somebody there got a cup or something or grabbed, grabbed the tissue that he was using to wipe it. Cause that is some serious DNA that has got to be studied by scientists in the years to come. It's the next best thing to actually having preserved his brain for later study. The brain juice, just as good, just as good. So, um, so listen, all kidding aside, he's trying to figure out how to do a coup. And we can't just sit back and laugh at it. They have to know that we will be in the streets you know, faster than, than, than you can say, fa- faster than a Democrat can say, no, don't take to the streets. <laughs> but we will. You will. I will. We'll all be there. So um, let's be ready. Let's be on guard, eyes wide open. Whatever's going on isn't good. The evil genius is at work. (sighs) And people continue to die. We hit the quarter million mark this week. Quarter million dead. I don't know. I've got a lot to say about this, but I don't want to say it right now. Because we've got work to do. And um, I'm inspired by things that Ro Khanna told us about the state of California. And damn it, why can't we be like them? Why can't we have what they have? We're all Americans. Um, but good ideas often come from the state of California, and we should pay attention to it. So thank you, Californians, uh, for fighting for these things over the years. Um, I know people may laugh at you sometimes, but uh, your craziness is, is good crazy. And it's, uh, it's going to help the country a great deal. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening today. This is Michael Moore. Thank you to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, and to all of you for participating in this vast, crazy, wonderful movement that we're all a part of right now. The work is not done. I'm Michael Moore. And this is Rumble. All the leaves are brown.